can't judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Hi, folks. Welcome back. Oh, how you doing? I'm tired. Yeah? I'm always tired. I'm old. <laughs> That's just the nature of the beast. I guess. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm tired, but it's the end of the semester tired. Oh, I'm, I'm tired. I, I finally got to see the love of my life in person. John me? Mayer. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Not my After husband. Me. Not you. John Mayer last okay, night fair. after uh, a couple of month delay due to COVID. Um, and it was at the UBS Arena, which is not in Long Island, but not in Queens. It's like right on the border. Gotcha. So it didn't take very long to get there. I took public transportation. It was just raining and miserable yesterday. Oh, it was awful. So like I didn't want to be there until the moment that he got on stage. Like I was just like, I should have sold these tickets. I should have like done anything else. I hate everything. I hate everyone. I'd like to go home now. And then he got on stage and I was like, the world is a magical place. You know what? That's always the case though. Like you never want to go somewhere, but mm-hmm. once you're there, it's like, okay, I'm good. No. I'm good. And I had <laughs> humble brag. I had floor seats. Mostly because oh. I went by myself and I was like, I will take care of me. <laughs> but um, so I had floor seats, but I didn't have VIP seats. But if you walk with confidence, everything is VIP. So like there was like a different entrance that I was supposed to go use the use the bathroom with like the regular folks. Um, but I was like, I'm not walking up all those stairs again. So like floor I am. So I just like went behind this curtain and then there was like this really fancy bathroom. It had like different soap from like the regular people bathroom. Like it was <laughs> very nice. It was like an own its own bar. And I realized like I'm just walking around this arena and it's like a big circle, right? Because it's an arena. So I'm walking and now I'm starting to see like guitar cases and like stools and like stuff oh. from like 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 the tour set up and I was just like oh my god what's happening so like I asked some staff there I was like oh you know they had a one session that just had beer but I was like I want to get like a drink drink so I was like you know which way is the bar so they point me in this direction and I'm just walking and walking and I was like I'm gonna walk into John Mayer like I'm absolutely gonna walk into his room like that's what's gonna happen but I'm walking and I hit this other bar and then I see like more guitar cases like just beyond the bar mm-hmm. and I'm like do I want the bar? Do I want to see what those guitar cases are about? Because like <laughs> we're getting closer. They look fancy. So I'm just walking that towards the guitar cases. And someone goes, oh, excuse me, miss. Can I help you? And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they told me the bar was this way. But I don't know if I can go into this bar. And the guy was like, oh, let me see your ticket. So I show him my ticket. And he goes, oh, no, this is a VIP bar. You're just regular. And I was like, <laughs> wow. And he was like, no, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. And I was like, no, I understand. I'm regular. I'm not fancy at all. And he was like, well, do you, do you want to come in? Because I feel bad. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, I don't want to be in there with those people. Because there were lots of very drunk, obnoxious men at this show last night, which was annoying. But John Mayer was amazing. And I got to see him sing Gravity live. All right. And I was so close. I was so close. So like now I texted my husband. I was like, uh, life is complete. And he was just like, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that, though. I I normally buy like if I'm going to a show with someone, I'll mm-hmm. buy like balcony seats or yeah, whatever. Conservative. Especially if 
I'm asking someone to go with me and they're not as enthusiastic as yeah. I am. And so I've, uh, it was very different, not John Mayer, but uh, mm. very different level. Sorry, guys. But, you know, I went to the Try Guys show uh, back before the pandemic and it was the same thing. I bought like a ticket in the second row. Mm. Oh, wow. And um, it was at the Beacon. I think it was okay. at the Beacon. Yeah. And it was off to the side, mm. but, you know, it was just one seat. So I spent on that one seat what I would have spent on two in the balcony. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, nobody cares to go to this as much as I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to splurge and treat myself. That's, I feel like I've been doing that for the last couple of years with concerts because I was like, I just, I'd rather go alone and just like have a really good experience than like try and like formulate like the whole evening for like other people. So yeah. like the last like couple of big shows that I've gone to, I've had floor seats and I've gone alone and it's been like, amazing so like this i was in row 20 and like he could see me if he looked hard enough (laughs) plus it was just like i was gonna say it was like the only black in a sea of white but there was a couple of other black people and they all we all acknowledged each other because it was (laughs) very white which makes sense long island john mayer makes sense but anytime like i saw like four other black people and we all were just like hey like that it was really fun it was really funny but like the show was amazing and i can't i get no complaints it was such a it was such a good night i'm glad you finally got to go because i feel like you talked about that in a couple podcasts Mm -hmm. and it was gonna happen and then it couldn't happen and it was supposed to happen it was supposed to happen in february and who would have thought february had better weather than may because I remember we went to, so we were supposed to go like back to back John's. Well, I was supposed to go back to back John's, but like me and my husband went to go see Elton John and the next night was supposed to be John Mayer. And we like walked home from Barclays because it was so beautiful outside. And that was February. And meanwhile, last night, like I'm in like a hoodie soaking wet in oh, May. Like, it was awful. I did weird. not leave the house yesterday. I was it like, was nope. such a good day not to leave the house. And like this thing didn't happen till like seven o'clock at night. And I'm the kind of person where if I haven't left my house by 10, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. So it was painful to like get up and get going because I was like, maybe I'll just take a cab. And it was like $150. And I was like, no. I will not take a cab. I'm, not, I'm just going to take the bus. And it's going to take forever. But I'm just going to sit in one place. And I'm yeah. like, fine. Well, I, as you may be able to hear, uh, I have a little bit of a cold. So mm-hmm. yesterday I was just feeling really stuffy in my head. So I was just like, nope, I'm going to curl up on the couch, watch some TV. I watched Heartstopper for the second time. I love fluffy gay what? teen storyline oh, like, what is this what's, what's a heart <laughs> it's a stopper? netflix show oh okay um it's based on some like ya graphic novels or whatever it's super cute it's mm-hmm. just like it's just cute it's pure and cute and like yeah there's a little bit of angst here and there but it's not like will they won't they it's just like when they will oh when oh i like that <laughs> <laughs> so you went to the show last night mm-hmm. and i went absolutely nowhere but today i went to see multiverse of madness Ooh. and I really liked it. Sean was Mm kind of back and forth about it, but I was just mostly excited because they introduced my favorite comic book character to the MCU and uh, she had a bigger role than I expected. So it was super exciting. I don't want to give spoilers. So can you not? You can't tell. She's in the trailer. Um, If people recognize her, most people might not, but it's uh, America Chavez. Mm. Uh, So that was really exciting. But I will say... The superior multiverse movie was definitely everything, everywhere, all at once. That movie was... Uh, I, so someone asked me about it, and I was just like, I... 
think that might have been the best movie I've ever seen in my you, life. And that sounds crazy, right? But like it might be. And honestly, I think it's much better if you go into it like not knowing blind. anything. That's what I did. I was just like, hey, this looks good. Guy from the Goonies. Let's go see it. And I didn't know anything about it. So like spoiler free. Also, you, short round. He's short round in Indiana Jones. <laughs> Goonies is better in my opinion. But I, I'd have only seen that movie once. Fair. But, yeah. you know. But uh, it was it was amazing. Michelle Yeoh, like I phenomenal. I put her on the list because I went to go see it at Alamo, so they had like a whole. This is all the things she's done before, and I was like, why don't I know any of this? She was like a beauty queen, and then went into acting. Mm-hmm. Like, and what? she is like, and like, she did like all the this master martial arts. Yeah, movie. why don't I know that? So like in the theater, I like added her to the list of people we're gonna cover. <laughs> I was like, oh no, like I mostly because I want to nerd out and learn more about her because how have I not known anything about her this whole time like that's and she's so talented and that movie just like and there's some meta elements in the movie uh, it's so about that it's so so hard to talk about it and not talk about it yeah i think honestly though the best thing is go watch this movie Mm -hmm. we're not going to tell you anything except michelle yo and you know go watch it it is amazing oh and jamie lee curtis is in it too i love jamie lee curtis i met her role amazing yeah so when we used to work at barnes and noble she wrote like a kid's book or something and i'm obsessed with halloween so i was very 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 excited to meet her and i remember we had this uh one of our managers at the time he was like very cranky and i was like you know if if there's time can i like jump back there and like just you know maybe grab a picture with jamie lee curtis and he was like we don't need you like bothering the artist and i was just like ew Cause I've worked events at the store before. So like relax, whatever. Mm -hmm. So like we had time and I went back there and I had my camera and I was in my locker because my camera was a camera and not my phone. (laughs) Oh man, I'm old. I just, oh man. In the year 2010. I know. I just, I don't think I realized it until like just now. Like I know that I'm old, but like that whole thing where I was like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't get a picture with her because my camera was in my locker. Anyway. So she's saying hi to her friends and I'm the last person. I'm behind her friends. So she's friends. She's hugging all her friends. And then she's like, you work here. I'll hug you too. So she hugs me and I'm like, that's so amazing. Thank you. And then the manager who will not be named was like, I'm so sorry about that. And then Jamie Lee Curtis says to the manager, relax. And it was so funny. (laughs) Like her whole face scrunched up and she was just like, relax. (laughs) And I was like, see, Jamie Lee Curtis likes hugging me. Get out of here. And then that was it. And then she left and she signed my book. But awesome. I've always liked Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. But that was just like really fun that she like put that dude in his place. I, he needed to be. Yeah. So anyway, all that to say, go see the movie. Yes. Private message us about it later. I will say for me, it was it was very life changing. Like, I think I had like a whole moment in the mm. theater. Well, you said um, that turning red really resonated with you. And I bet there are some similar themes yes. between turning red and everything. Everywhere. Yeah. But like dialed up. Right. Quite oh, a yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> quite a bit. But it was just like, oh, I don't want to like talk no, about no. you. But like I fucking weeped for the last half an hour. Just face leaking. It was amazing. It was. You should go see it. You should go see it more. I don't know if I, I don't know if I could see it again. I I would like to just to kind of like break it down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I mean, and it's, we'll stop talking about it because we can't really talk about it anyway. But so, you know what we, 
we can talk about and we should talk about boobs. We should talk about boobs. And um, our, our boob topic for today is uh, breastfeeding. But I want to say like special shout out to all of the moms because today is Mother's it's Day Mother's that we're Day. recording. Yeah. Yep, it's Mother's Day, and um, we are recording this special episode, big topic on breastfeeding. Did you call your mom? You should call your mom. It's probably too late. When does this come out? It, it will be too late by the time this If comes you didn't out. call your mom by now, I don't know. So in this episode, we're going to talk about breastfeeding, why some people do it, and why others don't, and what factors play into their decisions. And since neither of us have children ourselves, we decided we wanted to hear from some experts for this episode moms so we asked our listeners to write in and tell us about themselves and their experiences with feeding their children we will share a little bit about the history behind feeding babies including breastfeeding formula feeding what nurse is and pumping then we'll discuss how the media presents breastfeeding and the controversies between breastfeeding and formula feeding Next, we'll cover the effects of patriarchy and capitalism on how people choose to feed their babies. And we'll hear more from the moms who wrote in about their thoughts on feeding their own babies. Finally, we'll address the impact that the decision on breastfeeding or not has had on different people. We'll talk about the stigmas and the pushback, and then we'll wrap up the conversation on accommodations for breastfeeding and pumping in the workplace. Now, as far as trigger warnings go, I'm not sure if we really have any, but uh, if there's anything you think we should have included as a trigger, let us know. We're happy to learn and adapt. So we mentioned that we're including the responses of several listeners in this episode. Earlier in the year, we sent out a brief questionnaire asking about the experience these women had when feeding their babies. The quotes you'll hear throughout the episode are coming directly from them. And we recognize that our participant pool is small and limited in a number of ways. So don't take this as a scientific study by any means, but rather just the input of an assortment of mothers with different backgrounds and experiences. We are not scientists. No. I am not any kind of scientist I am or not a math either. scientist. A map scientist? Math. <laughs> Didn't I say that last time? I was like, I'm not a math scientist. <laughs> That sounds familiar, yeah. yes. I'm also not a map scientist. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah, cartography. God, you're such a nerd. <laughs> well, some of our respondents chose not to disclose their race or ethnicity. Those who did self-identify as white, black, Mexican, and Hispanic moms. They range in age from 27 to 72. Of the women who shared their experiences with us, only one did not breastfeed at all. For those who did, their time breastfeeding ranged from one month to three years. Some names have been changed based on the preferences of the respondents. But before we get started, we just wanted to thank the following people for sharing their perspectives with us. We appreciate you. Ashley, Carla, Krisha, Cynthia, Krista, Kristen, Meg, Sam, Shirley, Sophia, and Vanessa. You are the best. <laughs> So we're going to start off by talking a little bit about the history of feeding babies. According to the Journal for Perinatal Education, the historical evolution of infant feeding includes breastfeeding, wet nursing, the feeding bottle, and formula use. So we're going to do a little bit of history in each area, and we'll start with the wet nurse. So wet nursing began as early as 2000 BC and continued well into the 20th century. 
Throughout this time period, wet nursing was considered mostly as a need. They were there to replace a mother who was no longer in the picture due to death or abandonment or a mother's body not being able to produce milk on her own. So around 950 BCE to about 1800 CE, it was more of a choice, like having a maid or a nanny. But it became a well-organized profession with contracts and laws designated to regulate its practice. The societal class tended to dictate the breastfeeding practices. Rich, fancy women did not breastfeed. The idea of it had become really unfashionable. They also feared that it would ruin their breasts and their figures. It also got in the way of a good time, canceling <laughs> social activities such as playing cards and attending theater performances. Ugh. I know the last time I had to do something and I couldn't go play cards. <laughs> Jesus, it was the end of it. Man, you know what, though? I think that's a that's a dying practice. Like, I feel like people should just play cards. When I was growing up, mm. like my grandparents and my parents, they just had people over to play cards. That doesn't happen anymore. I think it happens at like family gatherings like black people we have like the spades which yeah. no one has taught me how to play so i don't know how to play it well and that's sean's problem is he doesn't know any of the family games that i grew mm. up with like hilo jack and uh you know we we played spades as well hearts all of those but it wasn't all vanity and card playing there were working mothers <laughs> in rare cases but they did exist the wives of merchants, lawyers, and doctors also did not breastfeed because it was less expensive to employ a wet nurse than it was to hire a woman to run their husband's business or take care of the household in their place. So they paid someone else to do it, and being a wet nurse paid well, and it required little to no education, so it was like the perfect role for lower-income mothers. As the demand for wet nurses grew, it became a common practice among young, unmarried, or married women to have a child, then get rid of it prior to seeking employment. As a result, in France, wet nurses were required to be registered with an employment bureau. Then there were laws created that required wet nurses to undergo medical examination and forbade her from breastfeeding another child until her own infant was at least nine months old. By the 1920s, hospitals in the U.S. had wings of wet nurses who were usually impoverished, desperate women, women who were usually single and abandoned by their families or the father of their children. Some women went to work for a private family that would pay them much more than a hospital would, but that private family would almost never let them bring their own baby with them. So off to the orphanage, they would go. Really what that meant was that a wealthy baby lived and a poor baby died or had a really rough life. Yeah, because if you're giving up your child to an orphanage, then that's mm -hmm. one less expense for you, plus you're earning the income of feeding someone else's child. Mm -hmm. That's messed up. But if you're on yeah. your own and you're just trying to survive, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you, you got to be there to like know the, the struggle. But it's interesting, too, about the laws that were put in place, because as you said, they got rid of mm -hmm. the babies. Yeah. And like, that could mean a number of things, but it probably means a little something related to the laws of this land that are being eroded. You mean Swiss Martians? Yeah. At the Swiss Martian clinic. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Anyway, the view on wet nurses began to turn negative, and this, combined with advances in formula development, actually decreased the need for wet nurses. So let's talk a little bit about formula. And formula started showing up around the 1890s, and it literally was taken from mathematical formulas. We're not math scientists. <laughs> Or, or baby scientists. Or baby scientists. <laughs> Doctors were trying to mimic the substances found in mother's milk. The formula would include things like the percentages of fat, protein, milk, and sugar. The idea was to gear the substance to specific babies. So if your baby was underweight, there would be a formula. 
They had jaundice. You get a different formula. Think about it kind of like a prescription for each baby in a sense. I mean, that sounds great, but you know what sounds better? Take that idea out of the hands of individual doctors and chemists and give it to big business to be mass produce. That's on capitalism, kids. Nestle's Foods came around. Uh, on this, they came on the scene with their canned milk, which became really popular uh, around the Civil War. Fresh, clean water was hard to find, and cow's milk was quick to spoil before it would reach any urban areas. So you would mix the powdered formula with the canned milk, and your baby was ready to eat. And of course, they made the canned milk too, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so they're just like double dipping all over the place. Oh yeah, the demand for canned milk and formula jumped again during World War II. In our Women and What They Wear episode, we spoke about how women were leaving the house to work in factories and shipyards during the Second World War, many of whom produced munitions and war supplies. Now, most of the men were off fighting, so the women stepped up, leaving their baby feeding duties at home. As women started to leave the housewife life behind, more formula companies saw this and capitalized on it by handing out free samples and trying to normalize bottle feeding. Doctors often received kickbacks and incentives to talk up formula, and talk it up they did. By the late 50s, the attitude in society was that formula was the best and more safe. The argument was that the more intelligent, educated, and sophisticated people bottle-fed. If you saw someone breastfeeding, you automatically assumed that they were just an ignorant country bumpkin. Lovely. Bumpkin. No, but uh, just the back and forth of the stigma Mm -hmm. is astounding to me and how easily it sways and how it's it's not it's not you or me it's it's someone trying to sell us capitalism yeah (laughs) patriarchy (laughs) doctors started to discourage breastfeeding the baby boomer generation is really the first generation to have been bottle fed on a large scale and most of them continued doing this practice with their own children Big companies like Nestle in particular were doing really well as their formula became the norm. However, outrage started in the 1970s when Nestle was accused of getting mothers in developing nations hooked on formula, which for them was actually less healthy and more expensive than breast milk. According to Business Insider, like who thought that we would be talking about Business Insider on a breastfeeding Listen, issue? we've come up with some fascinating sources we sometimes. Really So mothers were encouraged by their doctors to use formula. However, formula had to be mixed with water. And as the canned milk was just way too expensive in certain countries, mothers in developing nations didn't have access to clean water. Parents would unintentionally mix the formula with contaminated water, causing malnutrition. This didn't stop Nestle from pushing their product all across the globe. Formula was and is still expensive, so low-income families began to dilute the formula to make it last. A New York Times article on the scandal said one Jamaican family's income averaged only $7 a week, leading the mother to dilute the formula with water as much as three times the recommended amount so she could feed two children. The scandal caused a boycott of Nestle products and fear of formula. By 1975, breastfeeding began to increase from 33.4% in that year to 54% in 1980. Doctors relaxed on pushing formula so aggressively. But not for all. According to the Journal of Nutrition, there were declines in breastfeeding rates within the following groups of women. 1. Families with an income under 15000 a year. 2. Mothers with an 8th grade education or less. 3. Mothers under 25 years old. Four, mothers who are unemployed. Five, mothers who are African-American women. And six, mothers who participated in WIC, which is a special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children. 
So one of our survey moms fell into group five. Cynthia notes that formula was the only choice given. She states, breastfeeding wasn't mentioned to me. The nurses at the hospital just took the baby for feeding and told me to sleep. Hours later, they came back and taught me how to feed the baby with a bottle. She goes on to say that her doctor never mentioned anything other than formula before the baby was born. I wasn't given a lot of info, but I also didn't seek it out. All the things that I had heard about breastfeeding were negative. The pain on the schedule you'll ha- you'd have to keep. Cynthia doesn't regret her choice to use formula. She stated, if given the choice now, I would still stick to formula. I had to go back to work and breastfeeding wouldn't have worked in the long term. Another mom, Sophia, breastfed for one month with each of her five children. She explains, I'd work during the day and I could not breastfeed. Cynthia and Sophia bring up an interesting point. Formula was a game changer for the working mom. We spoke about how it boomed during the war as women were working for the war effort. But years later, a new generation was entering the workforce for the first time, and formula was actually giving them peace of mind that their babies would have full bellies while they would have a full career. So let's talk about pumping. Um, Some might consider pumping the best of both worlds. Pumping is having breast milk express. This can allow your baby to drink breast milk from a bottle separate from the mother. Now, different versions of breast pumps have actually been around for forever, really. Back in the 1800s, they served different purposes. If a baby was born prematurely in that era, they'd be born too weak to suck. So manual breast pumps were created so that they could pump the milk and feed the baby with a spoon or a cup. According to pumpables.co, honestly, with that name, <laughs> I didn't think that the site was going to be like so innocent, but it was. Um According to pumpables.co, up until the 1990s, breast pumps were only really used in hospitals by medical professionals. Occasionally, women would rent or buy a hospital-grade breast pump to use at home. Breast pumps at this time were clunky, loud, and really expensive. At-home pumping didn't really become a major practice until relatively recently. Well, pumping, you know, it's not for everyone, but it does have its upsides. You know, pumping for bottle feeding allows for others to help with feeding the baby, which gives the mother some freedom. And caregivers can control the timing of feedings. You know, they can decide on a schedule that works for them and pump when necessary based on that schedule. For a working mother, pumping can make a real difference. Many offices provide lactation rooms. It's a quiet, private space to pump while in the office. But this wasn't always the case. One of our survey moms, Shirley, a 70-year-old mother of two, speaks about the lack of flexibility at work. She states, between pumping and actually making quick trips home from work to nurse, I was able to breastfeed my firstborn. With my second child, I actually quit work before the birth to stay home during those first six months so that I could nurse and bond with him. So we'll talk more about the workplace later, but needing to quit work to guarantee that you'll have time with your child says a lot about the U.S. relationship with motherhood. So I'm glad that Shirley was in a position to do so, because bonding with your baby, however you choose to do it, is so important. When people talk about breastfeeding, the bond between mother and child is usually the biggest takeaway. Some describe it as magical, so much so that in Israel, as early as 2000 BC, children were deemed a blessing, and breastfeeding was considered a religious obligation. Here in the States, breastfeeding is pretty popular too. Not religious obligation popular, but it has its fans. Prior to 1930, most mothers nursed. By the early 1950s, only 22% of moms breastfed, and most only for the first few weeks of life. Today, breastfeeding rates are on the rise. In 2011, 79% of newborn infants were breastfed. The World Health Organization even recommends it. 
Currently, they recommend babies being breastfed for at least two years. However, according to the CDC, only 35% of babies are actually breastfed past one year. However, a few of our survey moms went the distance. Krista, 43, mother of four, and Ashley, 35, mother of one. Krista states, with my second born, I utilized bottles more, and we co-slept, which is why he got nursed the longest. He nursed for around two years. So co-sleeping is a practice in which babies and young children sleep close with one or both parents, as opposed to in separate rooms. So when I went to go look up the picture for co-sleeping, there was this really great picture of a family in bed together. And the mom is like dead asleep with just like a boob out and the baby's nursing. So I started doing Googles and I was like, would the baby just like find the nipple? And the baby will just find the nipple. I mean, that's nature, right? That's science, man. It's weird and it's wild. It's awesome. Ashley, 35, mother of one, unfortunately received some negativity for nursing longer than people deemed appropriate. She states, everything was all good for the first year because breastfeeding was making a big comeback in the feminist wave of that time, which was about seven years ago. Then into his second year, when he could ask for it, I got a lot of, oh, you're still doing that? And when is he going to stop? And as he was pushing up to the two and a half, three year mark, I stopped telling people I was still nursing him for bed unless I had to, because I got a lot more looks and comments that made me feel like I was wrong. So that sucks and is a really weird judgment to have about something that is healthy and natural. But also, how many other mothers do you think gave up on breastfeeding early because someone gave them judgment about it? Yeah. The WHO, the CDC and other medical groups recommend breastfeeding for so long because of the health benefits. Breast milk contains everything a baby needs and in all the right proportions. Its composition even changes according to the baby's needs, especially during the first month of life. So if the baby or the mom is exposed to a virus or bacteria, the breast will start producing antibodies that then go into the milk. Science is so weird. Now, according to Healthline magazine, it may reduce your baby's risk of a bunch of illnesses. Ear infections, respiratory infections, gastrointestinal acute illnesses, common colds, sudden infant death syndrome, and it can even reduce the risk of asthma, atopic dermatitis, and eczema. Bowel diseases like Crohn's disease and colitis, diabetes, childhood leukemia. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but it Mm. can help mitigate some of those. Yeah. And moms get something out of the deal, too. Uh, Breastfeeding is linked to lower cases of postpartum. However, postpartum depression usually results in lower cases of breastfeeding initiation. So this kind of feels very chicken or the egg. And postpartum is an episode all on its own. There's not one perfect cure-all for it. But for some, breastfeeding could help provide some aid. While breastfeeding has its ups, it also has its downs. Breastfeeding is really hard. Most of our survey moms noted the stress and challenges that came along with this feeding method. Sam, 36, mother of one, stated, breastfeeding hurts and is mentally and physically exhausting. There is no shame if you need to do some formula feeding or all formula feeding. Some babies won't latch onto a nipple. Some women can't produce enough milk. There are lots of reasons why people choose not to. Meg, 37 years old with two children, stated, My oldest had no interest in nursing, and it was very painful and hard, so I switched to formula. With my second, it was easier. Vanessa, 27, who is currently expecting her third child, identified impatience and lack of latching and pain as her main reasons for not breastfeeding beyond the first month. Krisha, 44, mother of two, notes that nursing her first child was much harder than the second. It was easier to trust the process and ask for help the second time in many ways because I knew what to ask for. 
Breastfeeding is tough and it's physically demanding from cracked and bleeding nipples to clogged milk ducts and marathon nursing sessions that might leave you with not enough food to feed your child. The process can be heartbreaking. The benefits are there. We've already spoken about them. And these days there are lots of resources and a digital community that can help you. Women are now empowered to reach out and find a support system. There are groups that will teach you things that you didn't think of when it comes to childcare. Healthcare is catching up and you can take breastfeeding classes and meet with a lactation consultant. Some of our survey moms have actually utilized these options. Ashley, mom of one, says, we took a six-week breastfeeding class and had a lactation consultant come over to our house because it was completely new territory. I recommend hiring a consultant to take a look at the latch so you can gain confidence of feeding. Krista, mother of four, explains, 10 years ago, lactation consultants were at the hospital, but once you went home, you had to pay. They certainly weren't on staff at your OBGYN or pediatrician's office like they are now. Insurance did not cover your breast pump or send them to you for free like they do now, and hospitals weren't baby-friendly like they are now. In the past 10 years, they have made information and help so much more accessible. It takes a village, and these days your village is just a screen or a phone call away. Mom support is crucial, especially when it comes to your first baby. So like we said, it takes a village, right? But sometimes the village can be divided. One of the most divisive battles is the breast versus bottle. And this debate is not a new one. Way back in 1793, the French declared that women who did not breastfeed were ineligible for welfare. In 1794, the Germans took it a step further and made it a legal requirement that all healthy women breastfeed their babies. By the early 1800s, elite women were bragging about their commitment to breastfeeding and trashing others that didn't. In more modern times, there's no legal requirement, but there is the pressure of expectation. For some moms, breastfeeding is no longer a choice. It's a no-exceptions requirement, the ultimate badge of responsible parenting. And that pressure can ruin the whole experience. Survey respondent Vanessa told us that she received pushback for bottle feeding because others told her that breastfeeding is better. I mean, talk about pressure. What people don't take into account when debating breast versus bottle is that so many women do both. Breastfeeding is still considered the quote-unquote gold standard, but formula supplementation is commonplace, especially as women return to work after maternity leave. For many mothers, this is the best of both worlds. One of our survey moms expressed this. Sam, 36, mother of one, stated, I wanted to give my baby natural antibodies, but I also supplemented with formula as she got older. Whichever side you fall on this divide, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is to feel supported in your choice. Women are recently starting to feel like they can speak about their choice and not get a ton of negative feedback, but that hasn't always been the case. One of our survey takers speaks to the pressure of other people's expectations. Kristen, 35, mother of two, states, When doing research on breastfeeding prior to having children, there is so much pressure to do it. The books and articles I read made it seem like you are already an awful mother if you didn't at least try. I knew I wanted to breastfeed from the beginning, so I wasn't terribly affected by it, but I can imagine that it would be hurtful for any woman who simply wasn't interested. In an interview with the parenting blog Motherly, Susan Barstone speaks of the pressure behind the choice. Barstone is the author of Bottled Up, How the Way We Feed Babies Has Come to Define Motherhood and Why It Shouldn't. She notes, there's been a big shift of how people speak to and about moms who choose to supplement with formula. 
But what hasn't changed is the perception that moms should at least try to breastfeed before switching or supplement with formula. She writes, there is support for people who cannot breastfeed, who have physical limitations, but I still don't think that people look at choosing formula feeding from the get-go as a legitimate choice. There are a lot of reasons for a mom to just bypass breastfeeding and go straight to formula. There are mothers with underlying health conditions, parents who did not carry their babies, mothers who are returning to work, and those who just don't want to because my body, my choice. So I feel like there shouldn't be a need to justify your choice. Personally, I thought I knew what choice I would make up until the whole example of the cracked nipples came up. (laughs) The conversation of infant feeding stirs up so many emotions because for many women, the way they feed tends to be a big part of their identity. They want to perform well. They want to do the best for their children. And it can feel very threatening to be criticized. We at Big Reputations think that infant feeding is absolutely a woman's choice, and there are all kinds of reasons why women would choose to feed their babies the way that they do. The conversation about infant feeding shouldn't be about breasts versus bottles as much as it should be about moms supporting moms. So let's talk about nursing in public and why on earth people get so mad about it. Why do people get mad when they see a woman breastfeeding? For a lot of people, it's about how it makes them feel. They shouldn't have to witness it because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Some dumb jerks would even say it's rude or indecent and that it should be done in private. So I think that the real issue here is that babies are getting involved in capitalism. Boobs are used for selling beers, cars, and not for food. Dumb babies are trying to block the male gaze. Fucking babies. Dumb babies. So breasts can be seen on television and film, magazines, billboards, and they're just used as tools to sell products. Breasts have become a sexualized commodity, and profit-hungry companies will use them for all that they're worth. But when hungry babies just want to turn, there's an issue? Yeah, the question becomes, what is the true purpose of breasts? Why do women have them? To lure a partner? To sell magazines? To entice men? No, the true biological importance of women's breasts is to feed human babies. When it comes to breastfeeding a child, there's absolutely nothing sexual about that. That becomes the issue. Some people will see a breast and go, well, that's for sex. And sex shouldn't be happening here in this Chili's. And then there's a big red flag. But if you think sex is in everything, that's really a you problem. Sometimes a baby just has to eat. But we'll touch more on capitalism later. For now, let's talk about how the public can freak out over seeing a nipple. Sadly... It's not uncommon to hear or read a news story about a mother being asked to stop breastfeeding in public. According to USA Today, in 2018, two sisters-in-law, Stephanie and Mary, brought six children to the pool to go for a swim at the Mora Aquatic Center in Minnesota. Among the children were six-month-old Ernest and three-month-old Roman. Both Ernest and Roman were breastfeeding while the other kids swam. Stephanie explained that moments after they began breastfeeding, a woman approached them and told them to cover up while they nursed because her boys were swimming nearby. Stephanie said she had never had anything like it happen to her before. Not knowing what to do exactly, Stephanie said she continued to nurse Roman. Pretty soon, a staff member came up and asked us to cover up or move to the locker room, Stephanie said. I informed her that Minnesota state law protects us to breastfeed anywhere we need to. So she kept breastfeeding and then someone called the cops. Like, could you imagine what that call sounded like? Like, help me. There are boobs out. What do I do? (laughs) Oh, no, not the boobs. I need need an officer. (laughs) (laughs) The sisters-in-law decided to organize a nurse-in at the public area next to the Mora Aquatic Center after the incident to let other mothers know that they're protected by the Minnesota statute if they choose to breastfeed their children in public. 
The fathers attending the nursing also help to educate others on breastfeeding. Stephanie's husband states, an immature mind might try to sexualize it, but that's not what breastfeeding moms are trying to do. They're just trying to feed their child. The Mora Aquatic Center released this statement on their main website in response to the incident. The city of Mora and Mora Aquatic Center, MAC, strive to create an environment comfortable for all. While we always have supported nursing mothers, the situation inside of the kiddie pool made many patrons uncomfortable. Our staff politely asked them to be more discreet or relocate to another area at the MAC. When they did not, it created an untenable situation and our public safety team was brought in to assist the MAC staff. Neither woman was asked to leave the facility. We apologize to Miss Ellingson Buchanan and Miss Davis if they were offended by how they were treated. Okay, so that's not an apology. That's, I'm sorry you felt that way, and that will never be an apology. No, no. So I know what you're thinking. 2018, that was a completely different time. No, I'm literally not, though. It was five years ago. Like, five years ago. People should know better in the 21st century. I'm sorry. Yeah. 2018. <laughs> but in September of 2021, like, they didn't know any better either. Because a whole family was kicked out of a restaurant in Anacortes, Washington. Here's a quote from the mother. I made sure to get a good latch before we went in, and then I covered him in everything, and we sat facing the wall. Ruby Meaden and her husband Aaron told their local news outlet. The family waited over 30 minutes only to have the restaurant owner come over to them and tell them to leave and never come back. They were shocked and they left. The husband, Aaron, left a one-star Google review noting the poor service and the owner responded by saying, thank you. Never bring your brats to breastfeed here again. My restaurant, my rules. Be like decent people, not like animals. There are places for everything and this is not to breastfeed your children. Sorry. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, even in March of this year, 2022, another mother was kicked out of an unnamed store in Ontario. So it's not a U.S. exclusive issue. Oh, great. <laughs> so our dreams of escaping to Canada being dashed. <laughs> Regardless of what business owners or staff say, legally, you have the right to breastfeed in public. In 1999, a federal law was passed making it legal for women to breastfeed openly on all federal property and in all federal buildings. All 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands have laws that specifically allow women to breastfeed in any public or private location. There were a few holdouts. It took until 2018 for Idaho and Utah to support a mother's right to breastfeed in public. And Utah lawmakers claimed it was due to its conservative Mormon representation, mm -hmm. saying the issue was about modesty. <coughs> it's actually about oppressing women. Yeah. Our survey moms are down to feed their babies anywhere. My favorite response was from Krista, mother of four. She states, with our first, we did everything by the book. I was way more modest. I had a cover up that was like a baby burka for public consumption. But I'd try and limit him to only home feedings. He also took forever to nurse, so I'd be in the bedroom alone, sad with my FOMO when we had guests. By the time I got to the third and the fourth, I didn't give a fuck. I straight up nursed in restaurants while eating sushi with chopsticks. No cover up. My last one got nursed everywhere. Libraries, gas stations, cornfields. When he was hungry, I hooked him up unabashed. I just love the idea of she's like just in a cornfield. <laughs> like, <laughs> it happens. You know, whenever you're in a cornfield, just... Hook them you, up. You got four kids. You find yourself in strange places. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Ashley, mother of one, shared a similar experience. 
When I started nursing, I had a nursing cover and felt like I had to be discreet or do it in the car, etc. But as I got the hang of it and the confidence of it all, I started whipping the old boob out wherever, to the observance of many and with more than one or two surprise looks. No matter your comfort level, know that what you're doing is best for your baby. Bonus points, you're normalizing it and you're educating anyone who might see you. No one is allowed to prevent you from nursing your child because you're in a public area. They should not ask you to cover up, disturb you, or ask you to move to another area that's more discreet. And if they do, I am going to need you to toss a poopy diaper at them. Ew, gross. No, please don't do that. That's... uh, That's... It's only what they deserve. I mean... All right, so let's talk a little bit about the truth. We're going to dig a little bit deeper. Let's discuss the effects of the patriarchy on the decision to breastfeed or not. What does deciding whether or not to breastfeed have to do with the patriarchy? Shouldn't the person with the breast decide whether or not they will use them to feed their child? You'd think. The idea of men trying to control women's bodies is nothing new and unfortunately nothing old either. We're dealing with this right now. We don't have time to get into Alito's draft decision on Roe v. Wade, but Mm. damn, we need to make that an episode. My head is screaming. Yes. It's scary as fuck for so many reasons. So, so many reasons. Patriarchy is about control. Control when and how and if someone breastfeeds. Controlling access to formula. Controlling what people think about one's feeding choice over another. The messages are contradictory and the pitting of one side over the other strikes me as rooted in the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. So we spoke about nursing children in public and how dare you expose your breasts where anyone can see them. Think of the children. Gasp. (laughs) Because the patriarchy has sexualized the female breast, it sexualizes women who are simply trying to feed their children. Our society doesn't seem to have a problem with the female breast when it's explicitly used for sexualization purposes, but when they're not supposed to find it sexual and they do, well, it's obviously the woman's fault. Obviously. Mm-hmm. The patriarchy allows men's sexual desires to determine how people look at women's bodies and their breasts in particular. The issue is with women choosing for themselves. If they dress a certain way or decide to cover up or not, they are judged. Breastfeeding is natural, so covering up isn't required, or at least it shouldn't be. Then those who expose their breasts when feeding a child should not be shamed or harassed. Now, that being said, those who choose to bottle feed, whether formula or breast milk, or those who choose to cover up should also not be shamed. They have either been conditioned by the patriarchy to believe that they need to or are harassed by others to the point that they fear not covering up. We already shared the experience of a few mothers who grappled with the idea of whether or not to hide their bodies when breastfeeding their children. And as we saw, it's not always an easy decision or one that left them feeling good about their choices for a number of reasons. Dear men, and honestly, women too, stop shaming people for breastfeeding in public. Moving on to our other favorite big bad, capitalism. I think capitalism and bottle feeding is maybe a little more obvious, like how those two align. You know, we already spoke about Nestle and their campaigns to promote formula feeding on a global scale and the consequences of that, especially in impoverished countries where breastfeeding was not only healthier, but crucial in babies getting enough of the proper nutrients and not consuming contaminated water. 
you have to purchase formula. You have to purchase bottles. Then you have to purchase cleaning supplies for those bottles and nipples. The list goes on. One of our survey moms, Carla, 43, mother of one, listed affordability as a deciding factor when she chose to breastfeed. She even opted for pumping over formula when returning to work. Probably because formula is not cheap. Mm -hmm. I mean, according to the U.S. Surgeon General's office, the annual cost of formula for the first year of a baby's life is somewhere between $1,200 and $1,500. Name brands such as Enfamil and Similac generally cost a dollar per ounce, but you can get generic formulas for around 50 cents an ounce. Still sounds like a lot. These cost differences can be attributed to a number of factors, but oftentimes it's connected to the type and quality of ingredients. But should parents in the U.S. have to choose between health and affordability? The formula industry in the U.S. is strictly regulated. So why should such differences exist? Unfortunately, it seems to boil down to the price of doing business. Remember, a formula company is exactly that, a company. And a company's goal will always be, first and foremost, to make money. And with inflation, supply chain issues, and product recalls, we're seeing an increase in shortages of formula for those in need of it. Out-of-stock rates for infant formula reached 31% in the U.S. last month, and formula shortages have gotten worse each month in 2022. Capitalism and breastfeeding are not separated anymore either. And it makes me wonder if that's why breastfeeding is quote-unquote allowed to be as popular as it is. I mean, I know I'm cynical AF, but like, hear me out. A comfortable rocking chair, a nursing pillow, nursing bras, nursing shirts, dresses... A nursing cover, nursing pads, creams, lotion for chapped nipples, a breast pump, a bag and cord and cooler for breast milk, bottles and bags, apps, books, breastfeeding classes, lactation consultants, money, money, money. Yeah, what what do all of these things have in common? Like they're marketed to you as necessities for successful breastfeeding. You just got to buy them if you want to do it, quote unquote, right. I mean, maybe you have great insurance. You live in a country that's not the U.S., but most parents in this country will have to pay out of pocket for all of these supplies and services. Just to note, after the passage of the Affordable Care Act, most insurance companies, most insurance companies are required to cover the cost of a breast pump. Well, thanks, Obama. But really, thanks, Obama, because that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but that's really where the freebies stop. Uh, don't get us wrong. These are amazing tools and advancements that parents have today that didn't exist in the past. Mm. Everyone who needs these services and items should have access to them. But that's not the reality. In 2017, the Center for Social Inclusion merged with Race Forward. In a report conducted by the center entitled Removing Barriers to Breastfeeding, a Structural Race Analysis of First Food, they write about the lack of support and resources, and even resistance, from medical providers, employers, and the community for Black and Latina parents who wish to breastfeed. So I think we need to link this somewhere because it's really, really interesting. They dig into some barriers that women face that you wouldn't think of. Like, I wanted to just quote all of it and i'm like it's 17 pages we can't quote all of it but yeah. i do think that it's it's an interesting read to kind of get outside of yourself and see like what other people are yeah dealing we'll, with we'll yeah. post the link on social media we'll, mm -hmm. and it will definitely be in the show notes yeah so now let's move on to the impact or the damage that the stigma of breastfeeding or not might have on some women Often there's so much stigma placed on mothers who choose or who are unable to breastfeed. While there are lactation consultants, they are not always accessible to everyone, and some parents might even might not even be aware of their availability. 
According to Meg, 37, who bottle fed her first after five weeks of trying breastfeeding and breastfed her second, it's okay to decide breastfeeding isn't for you. It doesn't have to be something you have to justify or agonize over. Your mental health and well-being are important and formula-fed babies are just as healthy. So if you don't like your lactation consultant, ask for someone else. My first one shamed me so much for having issues nursing that I felt like a total failure. My next one was very supportive and it made a huge difference. Those are people you throw poopy diapers at. (laughs) Just saying. But there is also a stigma on women who choose to breastfeed. Maybe they did it for too long or not enough or even in public. Or they felt that they had to hide away while feeding their child. Yeah, it's always something, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can't win. Yeah. Welcome to being a woman. It's always (laughs) fucking something. Anyway, so many women face pushback from those around them, not just from strangers, but also from friends and family members. We heard a little bit about the pushback that some of our surrogate moms received when they chose to extend breastfeeding, but some also face for other reasons. Krisha, age 44, a mother of two, stated, My spouse was somewhat uncomfortable because his first wife bottle fed and he didn't understand it. And I think he felt left out. It's an interesting thing to consider when the non-breastfeeding parent of the baby wants to be involved in the feeding, right? Throughout much of history, this was not a commonly expressed concern. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice to see that in this case, dad wanted to be involved. Yeah. Like if this is the case and your partner wishes to be involved, talking with them about the importance of breastfeeding to you, that's key. Mm. Each family will come up with their own solution. But I know that some opt to pump some of the time to include the other parent in the feeding process. It helps the it helps the other caregiver bond with the baby and frees up time for mom. Yeah, Meg, age 37, mentioned that she got pushed back for formula feeding, but explains that was more because I was on WIC and people just generally are terrible to poor people. That's a whole nother episode. Yeah, there's so Mm. many. (laughs) Kristen, age 35, tells us, I received pushback from people who had tried to breastfeed, but found that it didn't work for them. I was told it was difficult and that I would not succeed or advise not to bother. I also received some pushback from friends who had not planned to breastfeed. But she adds, I think that mostly came from a place of defensiveness. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising. People naturally get defensive when they think they're being judged for a decision on a subject, especially when that decision differs from the majority response. Like when I tell people I don't want to watch Ted Lasso. (laughs) Note people, I did not bring it up this time. I did not. You know what? I I feel like you're just waiting to bring it up all the time. Nope. I gave up on you. (laughs) Wow. Chris, I'll never give up on you, Rebecca. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) And now I feel like I've been (laughs) rickrolled. Krista shares that she didn't really face much negativity, but explained, no one in my family breastfed or really knew anything about it, so they had no opinion. She goes on to say that her partner was... 100% down for whatever I wanted to do. And she added, he's a great support. And that sometimes is all you need. Oh, and then there's the internet. Don't even get me started about the opinions of people on the internet. It seems that everyone has commentary and it's very, very important for you to hear it. Oh yeah, totally. Just go through your social media app of choice and you are bound to find wildly contrasting and sometimes harsh opinions on the subject. Yeah. So I decided to search hashtag breastfeeding on Twitter and posts were all over the place. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, it kind of was because, you know, there were also a lot of porn bots and trolls there sexualizing something that's meant to feed children yeah so like you look up hashtag breastfeeding and it's like 
it's not just parents breastfeeding children. It's yeah. So off topic, on topic, can I tell you the first time I ever saw a woman breastfeed in public and like noticed it, it was at Barnes and Noble and she was in the back facing like a, where we would leave. So she had herself facing away from people and she was facing like the employee, like comings and goings area. So I came out and I just saw like a baby's head and the biggest blue vein on her boob. And I was just like, how could anyone find this sexy? <laughs> like it, she's clearly working right now. Yeah. I was just like, I don't. And that was like the first thought I was like, whoa, that vein is pulsating because it's feeding that baby. Well, How did the vein? The vein yeah. isn't feeding. Well, no, <laughs> but like it was just like the vein was working. I want to suck your blood, <laughs> vampire babies. <laughs> but like the vein was like there. It yeah. was like there's actively like it felt like more medical. So I was like, how do people like think that this is like but sex? I don't I get it. It I was weird. I don't think they think it's sexy. I think they're bothered by the fact that it's not sexy and they want the uh, boob to be sexy. Yeah, I don't know. I in that moment, yeah. Nothing to that woman, but her boobs were not sexy to me in that moment. <laughs> not at all. I'm sure maybe another time, but her boobs were not sexy in that moment. No, because so. she was feeding her child, yeah. right? Accommodations for mothers working outside of the home, away from the baby, can have a big impact on the whole family. As we mentioned before, uh, lactation rooms and places of employment Federal laws in the U.S. require employers to provide a completely private space that is not a bathroom. No one should be able to see inside the space and no one should be able to enter the space when it's being used. It also must be functional or usable as a space for expressing breast milk. Employers are not required to create a permanent dedicated space for employees who are breastfeeding. In many workplaces, there might not be unused space. If that's the case, the employer could instead provide access to a space normally used for other things, like a manager's office or a storage area. As long as the space is available each time you need it, the employer is meeting the requirements of the law. If there are no breastfeeding employees, the employer does not need to maintain the space. And so I work for a college and I bounce back and forth between two different parts of campus. So I've seen two rooms. Both are in convenient locations. I thought it wouldn't take my ID card, but it did. So like the door also has one of those locks that's like vacant slash occupied. Mm -hmm. So if I were using the room, I would probably feel pretty secured. One of them is in a space that students can also access. So I wonder if their ID cards work. Probably. Yeah. You know, I wasn't able to see the lactation rooms on my campus uh, because the faculty staff lactation room requires an ID mm. swipe to access and the access has to be authorized by HR, which mm. is nice because that doesn't, that means that like everybody can't just come and mm. go and be like, oh, I need a quiet space. I'm going to go hide out here. You know, that is honestly what I thought. I was just like, well, it definitely doesn't work because I probably have to call someone. But I was like investigative journalism let's go in there and like yeah. take a look and now i'm like what if i need to take a nap no <laughs> well from what i could tell uh there were was another maybe a second room in the health center and that was a space that was available for students who needed a space to breastfeed as well i love that yeah that's i took pictures of of my lactation room so i'll post those on the instagram so New York is awesome. <laughs> New York State's laws are more explicit than federal laws. In New York City, employers must provide an adequate time for employees to express breast milk during the workday, provide a lactation room with all the components required by law, have a written policy on lactation accommodations. 
Under no circumstances may an employer take more than five business days to respond to a request for a lactation accommodation. An employee may pump at work regardless of whether they actually gave birth to their baby. For example, if adopting a newborn, parents may decide to induce lactation to breastfeed their newborn. In addition, an employee who served as a surrogate may need lactation accommodations to pump. Lactation accommodation rights are also available to employees of all gender identities and expressions. So if you're a listener from another country, we would really love to hear what sort of accommodations are put in place for nursing parents in the workforce in your country. Our examples are from large universities in a large city, but for some people, there may be more difficulty in getting these spaces or advocating for yourself when you need the space. Remember, it's the law. If you are a breastfeeding parent, you are entitled to a safe, clean, private space to feed your baby or pump. And if they don't give it to you, you throw the poopy diaper at them. All right. So normally this is where we jump in with our final thoughts. But before we give our own final thoughts to the matter, let's hear from our survey respondents one more time. Ashley, a mom who breastfed, wanted to share her thoughts on formula. She said, it's not wrong, a failure, bad or anything in between if you choose to use formula. Or if you have to use formula when you don't want to, fed is best. And you are doing your best for your child, no matter what way you feed them. And Kristen reminds us, no one should feel bad about the way they choose to feed their babies. Whether they try breastfeeding and find it's not for them, or they forego it altogether. It doesn't matter as long as the baby is fed and healthy. Sophia reiterates this by saying, listen to your body and what your baby can handle. As stressing as it is for you, it is as equally stressing for your baby. Your baby will still be getting nutrients in either of the ways you choose. Shirley suggests that you learn what you can about the pros and cons of choice of the choices. Then be honest with yourself about what you want to do and what you're able to do. It cannot be a bad decision if you are doing what's right for your family. Krisha agreed, saying that she hesitated to give universal advice because it's so personal and every baby is different. She does, however, say... If I could talk to first-time breastfeeding me, I'd tell her that if it's something your instincts are prioritizing, listen to that, persevere, and trust the process. But bottle feeding or supplementing is okay too, which I had to do when I went back to work. Happy moms are the best moms. Carla stated, the only important outcome is your child's survival and for them to thrive. I will always champion breastfeeding because I wouldn't have gone that route if I didn't think it was it was the best one. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with formula if that's what works best for you and your baby. And Cynthia, 69, sums it up nicely with, it's a choice. The baby will be fine either way. They will be loved. And that's what it boils down to. Doing what's right for you. Doing what's right for your baby. Doing what's right for your family. At the end of the day, the right choice is a baby who is fed. So let's get into like our takeaways. For me, I feel like I feel like you can't really talk about breastfeeding in the United States without pointing out that every other wealthy country has found a way to accommodate breastfeeding mothers and usually in the form of a very lengthy paid maternity leave. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for American women to breastfeed, even according to our own medical guidelines, because the social supports are just not in place. That's a whole nother episode where we can just talk about maternity leave. But we're not doing we're doing something wrong here. Yeah, we're not being supported here. You can't escape the stigma and judgment. Like, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. The same goes for simply having a baby or not. Having Mm. one baby or multiple. Everyone seems to have an opinion and doesn't know when to keep it to themselves. 
why can't we just allow people to feed their babies in a way that works best for them? Offering options is key. Sure. Yeah. But as long as that baby's getting fed, shouldn't that be enough? Like, I don't know. What do I know? I, I, I'm not a mom. Like, but still, it seems like a no brainer to me. Yeah. So a few resources and references. We'll link many of these in the show notes, but check them out if you have a chance. Desperate Women, Desperate Doctors, and the Surprising History Behind the Breastfeeding Debate by Lily Rothman for Time Magazine. Bottled Up, How the Way We Feed Babies Has Come to Define Motherhood and Why It Shouldn't by Suzanne Barston. Does Formula Feeding Make Me a Bad Mom by Bridget Reed for MilkDrunk.com. The Sexualization of Breasts, What Has Caused It by Renee Cam. The U.S. Breastfeeding Committee's website, definitely check them out. And Removing Barriers to Breastfeeding, a report put out by the Center for Social Inclusion and Race Forward. Let us know what you thought about this episode. We'd love to hear from you. And be sure to let us know if you have any suggestions for big topics we could cover in the future. Follow the podcast on Twitter at BigRepPod and Instagram and TikTok at BigReputationsPod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We really do love it when you engage with us online. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, your new moms. They can listen to us while they feed their babies, whichever method works for them. Subscribe to us and leave a five-star review. And snag some Big Reputations merch from Redbubble now. Help support our logo designer and expecting mother, Samantha Marmalejo. Order anything and snap a pic of you with it and tag us in it. They have baby clothes. Check out the link in the show notes or on our link tree. All right. So let's wrap it up. What do you got for us this week? So I have a quote from uh, parenting expert Sue Atkins. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. So just be a real one. Love it. And as always, believe women. <laughs>